Hello and a big warm welcome to you to the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning Podcast with Marion Rose and Joss Golden. We are really passionate about practicing aware parenting and natural learning together and would love to offer you information and inspiration to support you if you feel called to practice these in your family too. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose. And my name is Joss Golden. And today's podcast episode is entitled Rich Learning Environments. Yum. And again, as we have been in previous episodes, we are referring to Aletha Salter's Aware Parenting Principles of Learning, which are on her website, which is awareparenting.com, and you can find it under the articles. And we so recommend and invite you to have a look at these and again and again return to them because there's just so much really richness in there. And today we are going to be looking at and expanding and expounding on numbers five and six. It starts off, number five starts off with appropriate stimulation is important. A rich environment with a variety of manipulative materials facilitates children's learning. Children also benefit by being exposed to stories, books, people, animals, places, natural environments, ideas, music, games, and real life activities. Mm, Yes. And that's so easy and beautifully done at home, isn't it? Because we had such variety. And I remember thinking often that the name homeschooling is, is a real misnomer because there was lots of time that we weren't at home. But even when you are at home, there are so many environments where our children can learn and ways that our children can learn, where they feel really comfortable, where they feel supported, where they feel at home and at ease and They might be lying in bed reading and and learning or having conversations in bed or we might be sitting around the dining table or we might be out having a wander or walking the dogs or, you know, playing with the cat or whatever it was. It's just a really, really relaxed vibe, isn't it? And it reminds me a little bit of the difference between giving birth in a hospital and giving birth at home as a useful analogy to how much more comfortable and relaxed and open you are to to learning because you are in your safe place. And then you are also out in the community in lots of beautiful and inspiring places too. So it's it's such a nourishing and beautiful way to support their learning. It is, isn't it? And as we were sharing before, we have a, a lovely share before we press record, which is there's crying and laughing and chatting and all <laughs> kinds of things. And I was re- remembering all the different, literally have memories of my children sitting in bed or us cuddled up and chatting about something or lying on the floor and having like dogs licking, you know, cuddle up with animals or rabbits or as you say, all the things that you say. And I feel called to share them as well because there's something so beautiful about that and you know I'm sitting here looking out onto the rain and the trees and and the deck and just you know this is my home still and I love that continuation of that environment it's so different from that what I call the the disconnected domination culture thing of going to a place which often also in work environments are often like that aren't they kind of boxes with Although there there is rain here coming and it's quite loud, so I'll speak more loudly. There are environmental things that happen. But, you know, work and school is often a box, the same four walls, often for many, many hours and often fluorescent lighting or not so much natural lighting, not so much actually smelling things. And you know, now we know all this stuff about the microbiome as well. There's just uh, in all ways sitting on, we had a conversation about the hard chairs and, <laughs> and sitting at desks and just, just really not very enjoyable. I remember so many ways for me that school was really hard in just in terms of a nervous system way, and particularly for highly sensitive children who, you know, I think all children are really deeply affected by the environment in which they live and learn and for highly sensitive children, even more so, you know, for me, like fluorescent lights or polyester or just, you know, just the environment is, it really has a big impact on us. And not only in how we learn, but how we feel, how how safe we feel, how much we feel warmth to connect with other humans. Mm. It's a huge, huge thing, isn't it? That that environment, let alone the the books and the toys and the trees and the animals, all of those things as well that often we don't get much access to if we're at school. Again, maybe a a trip. And, you know, again, I want to acknowledge how you have been too as well, Joss, that schools are changing. And I think, you know, lots of schools maybe now do have 
a veggie garden or probably animals and things like that. But still, it's it's kind of often still an extra thing rather than the the kind of environment in which a child lives and breathes in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just living in those, spending hours and hours at a time in those environments which are difficult to be in. They're hard and they're cold and they're not conducive to to learning and to feeling relaxed. And I mean, thinking so many examples. I'm, and of course, I was living at school as well. So yeah, I, w- I was sleeping at school. I was eating at school and everything. So, but the toilets at school, for example, were horrible. It was so yucky to be having to use that space all the time. Or I mean, just thinking of all of our senses and the the sensory experience when you're talking about sensitive children. So I'm just thinking about the the physical environment that you're learning in and the impact on the hearing, what you're hearing is processing all the time. The fact that there's lots of noise and the scraping of chairs along the floor, all of the children in the corridors, the screaming and the shouting going on all the time. There's never very few moments of peace and quiet and stillness. So in that respect, it's really overwhelming for children to be at school. And then thinking about, yeah, touch, we've we've spoken a little bit about already, but, you know, the hard chairs, the polyester uniforms, or all of those things, the tight shoes that we had to wear that you know, we could never take off. You know, all of those sorts of experiences would also be deeply affecting for children. And then the the food, the, the taste, the, that aspect of it, most I don't know, I suppose if you're going to a day school, you could often bring your own food from home, but it's still not the same as you know, being at home. You can go and help yourself or you can offer your children beautiful, nutritious, organic, delicious food, or they can start preparing foods and making choices for themselves. Whereas at school, you're given this, I mean, our food at school was disgusting. So, I mean, in terms of that taste stimulation, it was awful. I've forgotten what all the other senses are. <laughs> As you speak, just every time you speak, I'm learning so much in terms of like realizing, oh my God, like how did we even, how did we get through that? I I just, it helps me see how much, uh, well, I know for myself, I would have needed to dissociate because there was so much physical discomfort all the time. Exactly. Just even the, as you say, the shoes, the uniforms, the light, that just few of those things, let alone the food, the everything. It, there's, it's just so much and so much overwhelm, overstimulation. And yes, for highly sensitive children, but definitely for all children to be with. And then on the top of that, taking in every day new information, new, you know, so much new information. And as we've talked about before, not our, our own pace, our own you know, natural learning style where actually for weeks on end we actually might need to just have a break of taking new things and be in that process of integrating all the information we take in there wasn't any choice to do that was there? it's just more stimulation on every front every single front that we could think of there was there was a lot of stimulation i cannot even imagine now spending can you imagine actually going back into that environment as an adult and even just sitting in the classroom, I mean, my heart goes out to teachers because mm. I cannot imagine spending all those hours every day with so much noise, so many children and moving in between, especially at high school, we we needed to move between classes every time. Like, so it was, you know, finding the room and get, having heavy bags. That's the thing I have. I see small children carrying these heavy backpacks. And I remember that for myself, these heavy bags full of books and it's just a lot, isn't it, to be with these lovely beings. And I know we're incredibly resilient, but there's something about the whole thing that's just really overwhelming, overstimulating, painful, mm. unenjoyable. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking about smells. I finally remembered what one of the other senses was. <laughs> but, yeah, the smells at school were awful. They used to clean the schools with this horrible sort of disinfectant yes. stuff that smelled awful all the time and so again, you're going into those environments that smell awful. And and I remember this, I had this blanket, like the security blanket that I would take with me. And I remember it smelt of home and I used to get so much, like, I just loved being able to sniff it. And, and towards the end of term, it wouldn't smell of home anymore. But, you know, at least initially I had that beautiful smell of home. And, like, you know, we all have that, don't we, in our own homes, that familiar smell of our home and how reassuring and lovely. Whenever I walk into my home, I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just so different. But whereas walking into school, it's always painful. And so you have to kind of shut that off. You have to shut that down to be there to, to survive it. But it is so overwhelming. 
Yes. And, and then as we talk about this and I feel into it for myself and I feel so sad for all the children then who, number one, who don't want to go or come to the end of the day and have really big feelings. And then in this culture where the whole aware parenting side isn't understood and that it's maybe, you know, seeing that there's something wrong with them, that they're having these big cries of big tantrums at the end of the day, or there's something wrong with them because they don't want to go to school. There's something wrong for them, with them that they that they're kind of antsy and agitated and they don't want to sit down or they don't want to put the tight shoes on in the morning or any of those things rather than, oh my gosh, these are really wise, deep connections with their bodies and and how hard that can be for parents who are in this system, who are you know, often trying to make a living at the same time, like how juggling, how, what do we do with our children whilst we make a living? And yet our children are communicating to us actually their felt experience. And an example for me, which is not related to school, but it's related to what we're talking about, is my son was unwilling to put on any shoes that basically came from a shop. So <laughs> we would go to all these different shops and we would put on these shoes. So for the first couple of years, it was little soft shoes. As he got older, it was harder and harder to find in those days shoes that were just foot shaped. <laughs> and so I'd go to all these different shops and he was completely unwilling to put them on. And I remember so often feeling so frustrated. You know, we try every single shoe in the shop. It's like, no, I, you know, kick them off. I'm not willing to wear those, basically. And over time, and I really got into one of my passions, which is barefoot shoes and actually understanding that most shoes for children and adults are actually not based on the natural shoe foot and natural gait and posture. And that he was so in touch with that and was unwilling for me to coerce him into basically shaping his foot into a distorted shape. I'm so grateful for that. And it was really hard. I remember many times with very challenging parenting moments, especially when we had places to go and I didn't, they didn't, there weren't places to get natural shoes from back in those days. Oh, it's hard to find them. And I see that as symbolic as well, like, especially, you know, our souls, S-O-L-E-S and our souls, S-O-U-L-S, that this culture does try to squash babies and children into a particular shape very early on. And the children who are protesting that and, saying no or having tantrums or just like being unwilling to do that, it can be very hard for us for parents because we were pushed into shape, most of us. We were forced to squeeze into a particular shape to fit into this culture, which is not set up for flourishing humans. So I just really want to acknowledge the, ch the challenge that, of that for us as parents to be supporting our children to stay connected with themselves whilst living in a culture that doesn't support that, whilst we were also brought up in these old school ways. No, oh, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. And it, it's such a powerful symbol of the whole process, isn't it? The shoe thing. And yeah, yes. my children were always barefoot, always. <laughs> Anytime we went anywhere, I would be like, oh, have you got shoes? Oh, no, no one's brought shoes again. <laughs> okay. So, And often it didn't matter, but you know, they were often wandering around places barefoot because nobody had bought shoes with them because it just didn't occur to them to put on shoes. And yeah, that contrasts so powerfully with that sense of having to wear those big clunky black school shoes hot in the summer. And you know, I remember in the UK having woolen school uniforms, which, you know, were really itchy and uncomfortable and you just had to keep wearing them and or that your parents would buy you uniforms that were slightly oversized and you would grow into it. So you would have this really baggy, floppy, uncomfortable uniform and then it would fit you for about five minutes and then it would be too small and you'd have to just keep wearing it anyway. Yeah, it's so, so unsettling for children to have those experiences. And I think the site, I mean, we were talking as well at the beginning about being in an environment which is really uninspiring visually and I think you know being stuck in those little box rooms for hours and hours on end under that lighting is really difficult it's so unnatural for children to be doing that for hours on end sat at a desk and if you do look out of the window looking for a bit of inspiration and some nature and something else to admire along the way you get criticized and punished for it so and when I contrast that with our life where we've just spent so many hours at, at the park or at the beach and out in nature and hiking and climbing with friends and so many beautiful places and, and you're in your own home as well, which is 
your children's rooms. They get to make them look how they want them to look and there's beautiful plants and things everywhere or however you want it to be. It's just so much more beautiful. And actually we do all need, that's a real fundamental human need, isn't it? To be surrounded by beauty and to have inspiring nature and beautiful things around us and that's just so often not the case in school it's it's gray it's cold it's concrete it's sharp it's hard yeah and it cannot again be meeting the needs of every child because everyone's different so some children will want to be outside a lot some people want to be outside all the time some people want like lots of wind and fresh air other people just like warm and other, you know so again each child's going to be experiencing some something different some children will be too hot some are going to be too warm some are going to be too cold that's the same thing hot and warm anyway you know <laughs> and they and there's no way to actually move around to actually find an environment that is comfortable and that might include also you know putting on some extra jumpers or getting under a blanket or sitting near the the heater in the if you have a heater in the cold weather or if you live in hot countries maybe sitting near a, a fan or a, an air conditioner or whatever you know there's just there's just so little flexibility and in terms of you know agency and autonomy and choice to actually stay connected to our amazing bodies and how our bodies are constantly communicating to us what we need so again for most of us we would have needed very early on not only to dissociate from our bodies and what we're experiencing on that sensory level, but also to to stop listening to those cues. Mm. And, you know, f- for me, I know for me, it took a long time as an adult to reconnect with all of those. And I talked to many parents who we're all on that journey still of reclaiming our body's wisdom and that our body really does know what we need. And again, that's such a core part of aware parenting, the body's wisdom, the body knows what it needs. And that's not only in terms of food and when we're hungry and, and what foods we need, which again, as you shared, it's almost impossible to, to respond to that in a school environment, but also you know, what temperatures are suitable for us and what textures we enjoy and you know what quality of light and do our eyes love, you know, for me, I love being able to see trees a lot of the time, which is why I sit here, <laughs> do all my sessions, podcasts, almost everything on the edge of my deck, where whether it's raining or sunny or whatever it is, I can see trees, I can feel fresh air. I'm connected with that. That's so important to me. And I didn't get that at school. Mm. Oh, wow. I love that, Marion. Yeah. And I that's not something that, I, I mean, I love my space. I set my space up to be beautiful, but I don't, I'm sitting away from my window and, but the thought of actually working in an environment where I'm looking out of the window and I'm looking at the trees and looking at all the beautiful nature around me, that feels really nice. And it wouldn't really have occurred to me to make my workspace nourishing and, and yummy in the way that I actually really most want it to be. And I just wouldn't have recognized that that would impact on me because, like you say, I did have to dissociate so young from what my body was telling me and what my body most enjoyed and most needed. So, yeah, it is a big process to relearn that. And I see that my children are so much further along on that process than I am already. And I mean, they still have things to learn, too, because, of course, my conditioning has impacted on them. But they're so much more closely connected to their bodies and their body's wisdom. And that's not just about those physical reactions and those physical needs. It's also about those those intuitive kind of responses that our body's trying to tell us. So how can we listen to our gut feeling about situations that we're in, for example, if we're deaf to our body? Exactly. It's so essential, isn't it? And again, I would say that is deliberate, like the way we've talked about Peter Gray's work and really understanding that these schools were set up deliberately to produce workers in factories. Like it's really helpful to help people dissociate when they're little so that they are willing to go and sit in an office and work from nine till five or whenever they're told to in the same kind of environments that they were experiencing at school. And and so again, I see it as really radical, not only as children, but as adults to actually to create environments that are actually really supportive of us and not like fitting the the stereotypical box. Mm. Yes, I love that. And I do see that in myself that I'm not willing anymore to go and work in. I've spent many years of my life working in horrible places, in 
awful offices in London when I was temping and at uni and stuff. And and then when I first graduated and I was working in hospitals, hospitals are horrible places to work. And there's no way I would be willing to go and work in hospitals anymore or even just the office where I used to work. And and now I'm, I'm working from home. I just there's no way I would be willing to go back into that environment anymore ever again where it's artificial light and dark and uncomfortable and where you don't get to move around enough and when I'm working sometimes I'm sitting at my desk working and sometimes I'm lying in bed working and sometimes I'm in my hammock working or you know whatever it is I just I love that flexibility just to be able to move around and I'm really inspired after this conversation to make my desk as beautiful as it can be. <laughs> oh, I love right that just yeah, I love that. As me, you know, I I realized this last year actually in doing my Marion method mentoring training and one of the things we talk about is creating a, a loving environment for when we work and I actually realized that I wasn't sitting in a comfortable place and so now I actually literally I'm I kind of sit on a little bolster I kind of squat on the floor with a bolster with something at my back and I'm looking out of the trees and that's actually really yummy for me. And thank goodness Zoom created the the backgrounds so that I can have my like bedroom, messy bedroom background without being concerned about that. I can show up on calls and things. Mm-hmm. So I love that actually technology supports us increasingly to yeah, to find ways that we can be wherever we want to be. And if we want to have a, a background that's pretty for other people, there are ways of doing that as well. And, oh, yeah, that's what you were saying about being unwilling to go and work in a hospital again. And I, I live near Byron Bay, and a few years ago they built a massive new hospital. And it's so, I'd like to swear, it's so unenjoyable. So it doesn't mean my need for beauty at all. And I'm thinking when people go in, and they're sick or they need healing in some way, isn't that so important that that is beautiful? And by the way, it's really raining now. I mean, that's one of the disadvantages of the natural environment. There's a lot of rain here. So I'll just speak up. So can you imagine if everybody got unwilling to be in really horrible offices and hospitals and work environments and actually were then that would need to change if everyone was unwilling to be in those situations if everyone working in a hospital said this is shit I I need to go to work here every day and it's horrible let alone for the people who are actually sick here and are trying to to actually get well again and how about if we actually just as you said valued beauty as a primal human need and comfort physical comfort as a primal human need and that then these hospitals became places that were beautiful and that actually were thinking about what someone was seeing and experiencing whilst in a hospital bed. I mean, so important. Yeah, so important. And if I think about like the mainstream public schools here where you drive past them, they're just so awful, aren't they? They're just such <clears throat> horrible environments. They're these concrete boxes. And yeah, it's just such a horrible place to go and spend eight hours a day, five days a week. Yeah. yeah the, the high school right around the corner from me, it's got like very tall, black, spiky fence. Like, I don't know how tall you would be, 15 foot or something. I don't know how much of that is in meters. Every time I go past it, it's just like, that, is, that signals to me it's a prison. Like, I can imagine going there every day. It's horrible. What what do these things communicate to children mm. when they're going into these environments? Yeah. Yes. And I think again, I'm having memories now from my school days as well. We used to have like dormitories in this these long rectangular rooms with maybe 20 beds, these metal bed framed beds with horsehair mattresses and these awful woolen. army blanket style and yes the walls around the buildings to to keep you in it does have that sense of prison quality to it doesn't it so yes it's not beautiful or nurturing or inspiring space to be in and I know for myself when I'm feeling inspired by my surroundings I'm much more likely to be able to learn and to be inspired by what I'm exploring myself Whereas there's a heaviness to it when I'm sort of, I feel contracted actually, even in my body, just thinking about that, of being restricted, held into this space that just makes me want to shrink. Yes, we are so deeply affected by our environment and we need to dissociate if it's if it's painful and uncomfortable. It's kind of it, isn't it? I remember again for my children, like we had a, 
I was really into Montessori, as I shared before, and we had the prepared environment. So we did, they did each have a little desk at, at their own height that was, it was actually beautiful. And I'd set it all up. So it had all their things that they were interested in. And at any time there was a bits of paper and, and their favorite kind of pencils or pens that they were really into and whatever they were into at that time. So I spent many, many a long hour organizing and reorganizing. And then as they change and then they grew and their interests changed to really, set up that environment so it was really really specific to them and for me there was really deep acts of love to create those environments for them so that they yes they had they did have the desks there if they wanted them but you know a lot of the time it was you know lying on the floor or sitting on bean bags or lying on beds or just <laughs> whatever it was walking talking and also putting everything in order in beautiful ways and again there were ways that were really set up for, for them and the stage they were at and what they were interested in so for each of them I would every six months ago I would reorganize things in terms of stuff that they hadn't used books that they weren't interested in toys that they weren't into just moving things around so that they were able to access those things so again it was really tailored to each of them and that was quite a lot you know just for two children so again there's there's no possible way that you can do that for 18 to 30 children and to set up something that's really going back to where parenting in that attachment style parenting that is really attuned to them that's really taking into account their interests their stage of development the ways that they enjoy to learn just all of that stuff I, I found that really enjoyable and again I think to myself going to school and I just feel overwhelmed when I remember like a generic random desk I think you know we would have had desks of our own at a young age but it's hard cold no cuddly toys or flowers or fun games just books and pencils mm. yeah seems so uninspiring doesn't it yes yes and then if you think about the, the impact of, of being in those environments day in, day out, and the way that, like you say, it would, we would have to dissociate from our bodies in order to, to be able to, to tolerate being there, and that all of those accumulated day-after-day mini-traumas that we would have experienced in those environments in terms of our immediate needs for learning, uh, how, how that would impact on us and how that means that for so many children, they are either in constant dissociation or in constant hyperarousal all the time when they're at school because of these things and, and all the other things about school that are difficult and challenging for children too. So that's very taxing on your nervous system. That's that's not how we're designed to live. We are designed to live as humans. How we've evolved is to live in balance with with periods and, and small episodes of going into these states in order to survive when when big things happen. So we might go into fight and flight if we had to escape from a tiger or anything, but we weren't designed to be like that all day, day in, day out, relentlessly. And so the impact that that has on our well-being, on our health, on our on our mental health on our emotional health, uh, as well as our physical health. Wow, that's just, and how, how do you then learn when you're in that? I mean, I realized I was basically in hyper arousal for, eight, for 10 years from the age of eight to 18. How could I have learned in that environment? I couldn't. So it's so, it just contrasts so powerfully again with being at home, where of course there are times when our children go into dissociation at home or where they go into hyper arousal at home. And then we're right there. And most of the time, hopefully we can support them to release those feelings. We can move in with play or we can listen to feelings and they can return to feeling balanced. So the majority of their life, they are spent in homeostatic balance state, which is what we're designed to be in. So it's just so big. It's such a huge impact. It is such a huge impact, isn't it? And thank you for, because I keep on talking about dissociation because that's what I did at school. I just got really quiet and that's really handy in certain ways because you don't get, in inverted commas, told off or punished when you just sit quietly and appear to be doing what's asked of one. But yeah, for all those kids that actually go into hyperarousal, and of course those are the ones that are then judged and labeled as in inverted commas naughty or hyperactive they're the ones that get punished and get shamed and they get picked on and then 
you know, what that does then in terms of more painful feelings for them and all the ways that there are then these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies where they're like, well, I'm being, I'm, I'm being told I'm disruptive and naughty, so I might as well just really go for it and, and I won't even try to to sit down and learn because like what what's the point and and anyway it's too hard because I'm feeling so agitated in my body I need to move around and and throw I'm actually seeing things in a new light thinking back in my school days you know often it was boys back in those days the boys who were throwing their paper airplanes at the back of the class or throwing stuff at each other while the teacher's head was turned off all that stuff that happened whilst the teacher's head was turned was basically children trying to do whatever they could possibly do to feel a little bit more comfortable in their bodies in an environment which is often overwhelming, overstimulating, or on the other hand, boring as hell. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or often both at the same time, if that's possible. Yes. Yeah. And that that was me. I was that person, that child, that hyperactive child. What did you do? What did you do, Joss, in the the class? What what kinds of things did you do? I just used to do all kinds of annoying things, just make noise, move around. I used to, like, flick my pen. And there was a teacher who used to get really annoyed. We used to have those biros that had four colours. Oh, I loved those. I loved those too. So we, if, every time you clicked it down, it used to make a noise. And it used to, I had one teacher, a German teacher, who was horrible and it really annoyed him. So I just used to sit at the class doing that deliberately. And then I get sent to the headmaster <laughs> study again. <laughs> but yes, those labels that those children get and that I, I got too. And these days as well, those children often end up getting diagnoses and getting labeled in a way that is is even more severe than just being thought of as naughty, but you're actually then told you've got oppositional defiance disorder and you need medication or you've got whatever other kind of diagnoses these children are getting. And then they're, yeah, they're given medication to, to try to calm them down, which is taking them further away from that natural, innate, powerful, automatic healing mechanism that we all have access to. It's just taking them further and further away from that and becoming more and more complicated and difficult and and unpleasant for these children. Yes. So rather than seeing them as the canaries in the coal mine, which are basically saying this system is so broken, this system is not set up to suit families, to suit children. I said families, I meant to say children first, but actually families. And yes, it's really hard to do something different in this culture because the culture isn't set up to support something different. It wants children to go to school so that they will go and do boring jobs and just carry on until they retire at 60 and or whatever age it is and get the pension. That's the kind of way this system is set up. So, you know, rather than seeing the children of like, wow, what wise thing are you trying to tell me when you're when you are sitting flicking your pen? Like, and I was even thinking, you know, what what were you actually communicating to the teacher? Like seeing all behaviors communication, what would you like to have said to that German teacher who was really harsh and hurtful? Like I'm wondering what you really would have liked to have said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's probably not suitable language for the podcast, (laughs) so I might not share that. (laughs) But it is really, I mean, essentially all the behavior that we're doing, especially when it's that kind of attention-seeking behavior that is seen so badly in our society is like attention-seeking is a bad thing. You shouldn't be seeking attention. It's actually just connection attention is what you know, that's what you're after, isn't it? You're wanting connection, you're wanting acknowledgement, you're wanting to be seen, to be understood and to be cared for, basically. And so often our children do that for us in the ways that are so annoying for us because they're trying to let us know that they need our connection, that they need our love, that they need our acknowledgement. And they're doing it in ways that are really hard to, to ignore. And that's why we often find their behavior so challenging when they've got feelings to share. So yeah, just wanting connection. And that's, again, that's a fundamental human need that children have. And so children being away from home in that environment where, regard, you know, whether it's a boarding school or a day school, you're still disconnected from the person who who gives you love and affection and, and who, who loves you most in the world. However that looks, it's uh, it's really hard. So hard, isn't it? And I also imagine for you and, and for many children still, like, you know, that was a harsh teacher. I imagine you were saying that like, I don't like how you're talking to me. I feel overwhelmed. I feel upset. I feel outraged. I feel 
frustrated or feel pissed off. Like, how dare you do this to me? How dare you tell me what to do? How dare you punish me? Like all of that kind of stuff. Like it, it, you, you know, it wasn't safe to, to say those things and you wouldn't have been listened to anyway. So what else can you do? I mean, I just think how wise were you that you found a way, the flicking of the pen to have an impact, to communicate to that teacher that, and to, to have some impact on them with, I suppose, a minimal outcome but you know being sent to the, the head teacher but imagine it would have been a lot worse if you'd actually stood up on the desk and say the things that you would really like to say to the amazing wisdom mm-hmm. of children's behavior whether they are going into hyper arousal and flicking their pen or throwing paper airplanes or twitching their feet or opening their desk and all you know all the bazillions of things trying to think of all the things that would have happened and do happen in schools to, where children are trying to actually release some of the tension try to express in some way how they're feeling or all the ones that dissociated like me and just went really quiet which is much handier for teachers like how how wise that we that we do do that but exactly as you say we're not designed to stay in those states of hyper arousal or dissociation for long periods of time and like you said 10 years i probably spent way more than 10 years <laughs> dissociated a lot of the time mm. Mm. actually makes me feel really sad because I think oh, all the kids still in those environments day in, day out. And I know that there are obviously schools where children are cared for in a way that's much more nourishing. But for so many children, that is the reality of their day-to-day experience for the majority of the time. With maybe uh, islands of things that are more enjoyable. So there might be, if you've got a different teacher, there might be some different teachers that are more warm and compassionate and interested and more resource themselves, probably have less trauma themselves. There may be particular subjects that that are more interesting. So I guess for many children, that might be islands that are more enjoyable and places where there are less. And as you say, for many children, and often a lot of it, it's really horrible and terrible. And again, for some children who really can fit in and seem to do okay in school and can even seem to thrive, but particularly if they have they're really particularly suited to that way of thinking that schools often value the the writing and the and the tests and all of those kinds of things that they they can get through it but that still doesn't mean that it's the most vibrant environment for them that they could actually have even something even more wonderful (laughs) more attuned to them just because they managed to get through and you know get a's in their exams or whatever doesn't actually mean still that it was the best thing for them Mm. Yes, and I'm thinking as well about how in our wider society these central aspects of aware parenting are so misunderstood and so I'm imagining so many of the teachers with their own deep trauma wounds and and being in an environment which is really stressful where they're trying to teach all these children and then having to meet all these new criteria that the government are introducing in education regarding this, that and the other. And so It's a very, very stressful job. Also, the impact of them in terms of their childhood trauma and the impact that that has and their day-to-day trauma in that environment every day must be very taxing for their bodies, their nervous systems as well. Yes, yeah. I have so much compassion for teachers Mm. or anyone in that environment. And particularly, I know so many people who are going into schools and wanting to bring in aware parenting or even just more compassion for children or less punishment, less rewards, less shame, all of that stuff. I mean, it's a it's a massive thing to go into those systems and to try and change them. I mean, personally, I'm much more, to, you know, just scrap them all and let's change the whole society. But you know, I just really want to acknowledge all the people that are aiming to make change and, and moving more towards more conducive environments for children to learn in and grow in and connect in. Yes. Yeah. And Aletha talks about the importance of real life activities. And I think that's so important too, because when our children are at home, they are doing real life activities because they are living their real life. And and often people would say to me, well, don't you think homeschooling is a bit weird because it's not real life? School is real life. That's what everyone's doing. And I was just so struck again and again by actually, no, this is how we evolve to live. This is how we're designed to live as a species is being at home together, doing real life stuff, being in the community, doing real life things and not in this environment where you're doing these sort of contrived learning activities that have been decided and determined for you. It's so much more conducive 
being at home to be doing this sort of real life activity for learning. Yes, exactly. So much more conducive. And you know, all the other things she's saying then, it's, and we've been talking more about kind of the outer environments, but what she's talking about as well, being exposed to stories, books, people, animals, places, natural environments, ideas, music, games, and real life activities. Yes, I think what the times, you know, we we put music on or they got into learning different instruments at various times or just being in that environment again where there's there's music there might be music on in the background there might be dancing spontaneously <laughs> at any point in time there's options to actually go through and do all of these things oh do I want to go and have a cuddle with the dog I remember my daughter loved reading for many years and would spend many hours just reading a book and cuddled up and just you know go, oh, how yummy I mean mm. just how yummy <laughs> mm. yes yes so nice, so rich, so stimulating, so relaxing. So relaxing. And games as well. We would spend so many times. Like we had lots of different board games. We tried mm. to find any kind of less non – I found even – did you find this? Even the, the board games that were na- named non-competitive, they were still like competing against the crow or the person. It's like it, was, it seems really hard for people to think of games that are not – um, competitive but we'd make up our own versions of games together and just just playing there's a lot of playing happened mm. a lot of playing learning through play which we talked about last time as well just you know, fun books fun mm. going places a lot we did a lot of going places well I think you went to the beach a lot of the time didn't you mm. Mm. yeah we used to meet up once a week with friends at the beach and then meet up as a whole group of homeschoolers at the beach and go to the park and just, yeah, so much time outside in nature, which again, that's how we evolved as humans to live. This is how our species thrive, is being in these natural environments. So we're deeply connected to the nature around us. And that is how humans are intended to live, not taken away from the natural environment, and which again, brings in more of that disconnection, doesn't it? If we are removed from these spaces. Yes, it really does. I'm remembering as well, many years ago, a friend said oh but her school was lots of beautiful things they'd added in and one day a week the children spent all day outside and I thought yeah but what happens if you don't want to spend the day outside on that day like sometimes it's really hot or really windy or really rainy I might not want to actually spend the whole day outside on that day so again that that ability for children to have so much choice about being in environments that are actually nourishing and nurturing for them Mm. that they enjoy being in rather than you know what someone else decides is in inverted commas good for them yes and so often as well when we were going out if we were planning to go somewhere my children would use that as an opportunity to release some feelings so there would often be one of them wants to go to the beach and the other one doesn't and again what a wonderful opportunity when you understand aware parenting to move in and listen and, and to be able to say to your child who doesn't want to go to your beach you might set a loving limit for example and because you know I knew that when we got to the beach my kids would have an amazing time and it would be a beautiful day so you know sometimes if they said we don't want to go to the beach then of course we just didn't go to the beach but when I thought that there was feelings there that were getting in the way of going you could listen to the feelings and then that would be it they would be like great let's go <laughs> get in the car come on and so Yes, that's just having that opportunity again and again and again to to listen to feelings, to support our children, to to heal when things came up and to play in, in deeply therapeutically nourishing, lovely ways with our children day in, day out and not putting them in an environment day in, day out, which which creates so much stress. So, yeah, it was just it was so yummy, so nice. And hard as well. I mean, of course, there's lots of times when it's hard and we will do an episode or two about all the challenges too, because we don't want to paint this sort of beautiful picture of paradise. So there were lots of moments when it was really hard and where we felt really isolated and lonely. But at no stage did I think that it wasn't the best learning environment for my children when I was really deeply connected to what I value most and and to these sorts of things. So having my children in a free space, in a beautiful space, having them be allowed to choose what they did and all, all those other lovely things that we've talked about today. I didn't ever think, oh, well, that would be better met at school. I just had moments where, you know, I didn't trust or whatever. And yeah, we'll talk about that more another time. We will. Yes. I was actually thinking that myself. I would have loved your help, Joss, at certain times. There was a particular theme in our family where we'd go to the beach and one or other of them didn't want to get out of the car and didn't want to go to the beach. And I remember 
often listen to the things, but quite a few times just feeling so frustrated and pissed off and a few times reacting and going, oh, yeah, yeah, and going home again and, and I'm and giving up actually and trying to go to the beach. So, you know, that's again why it's so important to get as much support as we can because, yes, it doesn't it doesn't mean it's, it's rosy. However, I, I agree with you. I just think there's so much joy and so much ease and uh, I'm incredibly grateful every day that I made the decision I did despite the, the, the challenging parts and the parts that were hard because of the culture that we live in that doesn't actually support um aware parenting natural learning mm. I'm still still really glad I did it yes me too. and I can only imagine how much harder it would have been <laughs> as we've shared before getting up at the same time mm. making lunches listening to all the feelings at the end of the day yes yes yum I'm aware of the time, so I'm wondering if that might be a good time to stop. I know we didn't really talk about the next one, but maybe we could talk yeah. about the next one yes, next time. Say, how wonderful. We could talk about six the best ways you want to inspire children to imagine, build, create. Think great. Even more topics. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, is there anything else that either of us wants to say in relation to number five, appropriate stimulation? I think that as well, I do want to say, like in terms of appropriate stimulation, in all ways, again, that all children, and we will talk uh, do a whole episode. On this as well in terms of timing that children do develop at, at different times i'm even thinking about actually for teenagers and in terms of like moving into the whole getting into sexuality and boyfriends and girlfriends and all of that and in terms of developing into men and women in terms of sexual characteristics and all that stuff that happens all at different rates and, and again what i really experience with my children is that they could really go at their own pace with all of that as well, which is so different from what I experienced at school. So not only just in terms of learning the curriculum, but actually all the other learning that's happening in those peer interactions mm. and having that appropriate time in all ways, whether that's reading, writing, emotional, physical development, that, that again, that we can really support and tailor that environment to really suit our children and their particular stage not at what you know everyone some kind of average of every six-year-old or 14-year-old but actually that's really tailored and attuned again we go back to that attachment style parenting mm, yes and what is appropriate for one child cannot necessarily be appropriate for another child it's just not how we are as humans so yes Yes, and, and all of that. I mean, that would be an interesting episode as well, actually, just to talk specifically about the impact of the school environment on our development of our sexuality and that kind of thing. And I've, yeah, I would have a lot to say about that too, and what goes on when the teacher's back is turned and what what boys are learning and what girls are learning and, and how that impacts on, on our capacity to have nourishing, intimate relationships as adults. Yeah, absolutely. So that's for another time too. Oh my gosh, I've got full body tingles. I think we could do a few episodes on that, can we? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, a big sigh from both of us. <laughs> So appropriate stimulation is important, a rich environment, a variety of manipulative materials. So I wonder as you've as you've listened to us, I imagine you might have felt lots of feelings. And again, if your child is going to the school or you're thinking of sending them to school or you did send them to school, we're sending you so much love and compassion. And a reminder that this is an invitation to never pick up sticks of self-judgment or guilt or shame, which is that my Marian method work, not aware parenting. But it's really, you know, aware parenting is about that deep self-compassion and about mm. not only not punishing our children, but also not punishing ourselves. And, you know, we just send love to you in terms of whatever feelings you feel as you listen. And we invite you to share that with an empathy buddy. If you have one, and if you don't have an empathy buddy, we invite you to get one because they're really, really important. And also, yeah, you may have memories uh, coming up of your own school experiences. And again, it's so important to get to share those with someone who's going to listen and who isn't going to go, oh, it's all right. You turned out okay. But it's going to go, gosh, yeah, that I really hear that you felt overwhelmed then and really hear how big that is for you to realize how much you either went into dissociation or hyperarousal. These are really big topics we've been mm -hmm. talking about. So. Mm -hmm. We invite just lots of lots of self-compassion and reaching out or journaling or doing something to, to support yourself. 
Yes, and I wonder if it might also be nice to invite people to reflect a bit about their learning environment and what they would love and, and how they would might like to bring more beauty and more choice and more loveliness, sensory loveliness into their into their space where they work or where they spend lots of time or their home. So that might also be nice. That's something I'm going to do. Mm. Yeah, I really particularly love that part. Isn't it such a yummy thing, the surprising things that come out of our conversation? Mm. And I really, really loved that in particular. Mm. Thanks, Joss. Thank you so much, Marion. I do, and I do want to also say, because I was just thinking, do you you want to share about your offerings again? We could do that at the end of every one of these. I know your community's open today, the 1st of October, so I think doors are uh, closed. Is that like a firm closing if anyone was like, oh, I want to jump in? Is Is it too late? Well, theoretically, the doors are closed and we start today. But of course, there are a couple of people who we are still currently talking to who want to come in who haven't quite made it yet. But we so we will be still able to let some people in. But we're very excited about starting that. And we've got four couples in, which is really nice as well to have all these dads, as well as all the other members. So that's wonderful. And my Aware Parenting Teenagers course (laughs) is very soon going to be available. I've just been focused a bit on this now but that is my next thing to get that absolutely totally finished so I'm really looking forward to that and I had a wonderful podcast episode interview with Aletha which I would highly recommend everyone to listen to because she is so incredibly wise and knowledgeable and I was so struck by how amazing she is and her her knowledge and her understanding is just extraordinary so I would highly recommend people listen to that one she's got so much wisdom to share what about you Marion? I'm looking forward to listening to that. Uh, yes, I have. I'm focusing on aware parenting with babies at the moment. So um, I have a special offer on my aware parenting with babies course that people also get the my aware parenting with babies question and answer vault and love being a mother course for free if you if you join up. Yeah, I love also, that course, loving being a mother. Yum. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, I'm also offering because I'm gone back into my which is my first passion with aware parenting with babies some uh new one-on-one mentoring packages for people with with babies who'd really like some deep support so wow. message me message me if you're interested in that I'm excited wow. that sounds amazing 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 Thank you, lovely. I love all that we're doing. I love all that you're doing with, with you. And I love, again, you shared a post. I'm going to quickly say you shared a post today about, or well, might have been yesterday, but I saw it today, about how what you love about aware parenting, one of the many things is all the people that you get to meet in this community and collaborate with and other instructors and, and parents. And I really want to second that and to say to all of our listeners, just thank you for being a part of this amazing aware parenting community. We're so grateful to you and we're so glad that you're here. And thank you so much for listening yes yes indeed so so much gratitude to everybody who's in this community and what a profound difference we're all making to the world yes (sighs) so much love to all of you we have really enjoyed talking to you today and we hope that you enjoyed the episode too we are sending you love however you feel after hearing this information To find out more about Marion's work, you can go to marionrose.net and for Joss's website, it is awareparenting.com.au. We wish you much love and connection on your aware parenting and natural learning adventures. Mm